We're glad that you're here this morning. You, you picked a, a good day to come. Uh, Jill and Steve were with us five years ago, and I think, Steve, you're about 15 then. I think when you came, he looked so young and good looking, and hallelujah, I hate you, Steve. But anyways, um, uh, we are so blessed to have them. Uh, when they came to us five years ago, they're itinerating to go out on the field to Uruguay and South America, and it's so great to have them back to share with what God has done over the past four years, and God has been doing some amazing things through them. Steve is like an awesome soccer player. He looks like Landon Donovan, if you guys know the American soccer team, though. Are they going to the World Cup this year? Do they make it? Do they make it to the Olympics, too, or is that still going on? They did. Good. Well, that's go USA. Um, and so... God is using his gifts in that area also to reach out because that's a, if, if you've ever been to Central America or South America, soccer is it for them and, and everything revolves around that. And so God has used Steve in that area to, 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 to reach out to that country. Um, but their big need this year and, and, and what they've been doing over the last four years is they've been um, building churches and planning churches and starting churches. And so over the last four years, they've planted uh, three churches, and that's their goal for their next term, to plant churches where there is no evangelical outreach or no gospel message that is being presented to the people there. And so that's exciting what, what God is doing in their heart. And uh, they just had a, uh, they have a six-month-old little boy, Lucas. So, uh, they're, they're busy. So I said, have you taught Lucas how to dribble the soccer ball yet? And he says, no, they his mobile has all soccer balls on it. So he's going to be a star soccer player one day. And uh, we're just so glad the Jill did a great job. A few ladies were there yesterday. My wife said it was wonderful yesterday. And we're so glad to have them with us on our campus for the weekend. So we just give Steve just a warm welcome as he just comes to share his heart. Guys doing real great. God bless you, Steve. Good morning. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. It's, it's exciting uh, to be back with you. As uh, Pastor Barden mentioned, it was uh, five years ago. I can't, can't believe that already. And uh, we shared our hopes, our dreams, some of the callings that God had placed in our lives. But now we actually get to come back and tell you the great things that he's doing in the country of Uruguay. So thanks so much for having us, especially this important week of the year when you guys uh, celebrate missions and uh, and remember some of the things that are going on around the world. So um, how many of the ladies were here yesterday? Wonderful. I see a number of hands. Uh, Jill had a great time sharing with the ladies, and uh, I'm sure many of you guys got to meet Lucas as well. Um, and uh, we really did enjoy that day. So thanks so much for having, having Jill. The, the food was wonderful. Uh, the fellowship time was great. And uh, I know that, uh, that you were probably blessed during her message. I certainly was as I listened to her share and sing. So... Um, for those of you who, who might not know Jill and I, we got married about six years ago. As you typically do, we went on our honeymoon. And two days later, we went out to Springfield, Missouri to interview the missionaries. And some people told us we were crazy. They said, why would you go and do something like that? You just got married. Why would you leave the country that you know, the language that you speak, and all your friends and family to move to a place you've never been to before, to have to learn a new language, meet new people, and start all over? And we said, you know what? Since we were teenagers, we felt the call of God in our lives. And we couldn't think of any better way to start our married life together than by being obedient to what it asked us to do. And so went out to Springfield, and they asked a simple question. They said, well, where is God leading you? And we said, we know it's to South America, but we're not quite sure which country. So we're open to go wherever you need us the most. We just want it to be the place that has the least number of churches, the least number of missionaries, and the greatest need. And they kind of laughed a little, and they said, oh, we have a place for you. It's called Uruguay. 
And then uh, they were nice to us. They said, why don't you take two days to pray about it and see if that's where you want to go and spend the rest of your lives. Not a big decision or anything, right? I'm glad God can answer in prayer in 48 hours, though. <laughs> we did a little research, uh, found out a lot about the country, but we also spent some time on our knees. And uh, lo and behold, two days later, we went back to the committee and we said, you know what, we feel like this might be the place that God has for us. And so we ended up in Uruguay. First, though, we spent a year in Costa Rica at language school. And I know that this church has been down there. You've been to Sincel. You actually helped um, with building there, painting, different things like that. And so we studied at that language school. I learned Spanish, worked in the local churches in that, in that uh, city of San Jose, and then went on to uh, complete our term in the country of Uruguay and just saw God do some incredible things there. To start out this morning, what, uh, what we did was we put together a few pictures to show you a little bit about the culture and some of the great things in the country of Uruguay. But what we're going to do this morning is play a little game. So anybody like games here? All right. This game is simply called What Is That? And uh, what you'll see is some zoomed in pictures of, uh, you know, pictures that we took our very first term there. And uh, we're going to see if you can figure out what is going on in each of those pictures. But don't worry, I'll give you a few options to help you out. So if we go to the first slide, we're going to see if you can figure out what is that. A, a Uruguayan pipe. B, a straw for drinking tea. Or C, drug paraphernalia. How many people say A, a Uruguayan pipe? Just raise your hand if you think. I see a few hands for that one. Yep. B, a straw for drinking tea. Yeah, a number of hands for that one as well. Or C, drug paraphernalia. What do you guys think we've been doing our last term there? I promise you we behaved ourselves. Those of you that said B, a straw for drinking tea, you are correct. That is a Jill. She's trying mate tea. It is uh, similar to like a green tea that we would have here, except it's a little more bitter. And uh, it is the most common drink that you can find in Uruguay. They typically use a gourd. Um, like that with a special straw, and uh, they love to drink tea. In fact, they, they, they're seen carrying their, their teacup like that and often a thermos of hot water with them wherever they go in Uruguay. And the common thing to do is, if you're around a table or in a room with a group of people, is to share from the same cup. And so you really have to pray and believe and hope that no one is sick because you're all drinking from the same straw there. But if they do offer it to you, it's a special thing because it's like they're opening up their heart to you. So that's mate. That is their... Uh, their favorite drink in the country of Uruguay. So, all right, we'll take a look at the next picture and see if you can figure out what is that. A, a maggot. B, a surprise left by the neighbor's dog in our yard. Or C, a piece of steak. How many people say A, maggot? I don't see any hands for that one. Uh, B, surprise left by the neighbor. No, no. Okay, C, piece of steak. You guys know your meat. That is correct. Indeed, that is a piece of steak. This is a typical asado, a barbecue that uh, they have in Uruguay. And uh, what you'll see there, you'll see the, the beef, you'll see chicken, you'll see chorizo, which is a Spanish sausage. You'll even see provolone cheese that they do all over the open coals. has a wonderful taste and a great flavor. So definitely missing that. Um, contemplating building one of them in my backyard here just to enjoy that. It takes about two, two and a half hours, that whole process of cooking, but it ends up with, uh, with just an amazing flavor. So come to Uruguay and we'll make you one. All right. Uh, in our next picture... See if you can figure out what is that. A, an igloo. B, a lifeguard station. Or C, part of a hand. How many people say A, igloo? Yeah, I see a few hands for that one. B, lifeguard station. Many hands for that one. Or C, part of a hand. Yeah, actually this is pretty split. Believe it or not, that is C, part of a hand. 
That's a uh, monument, an important statue that you can find in one of the, uh, uh, the main tourist locations there. It sits right on the beach, and it's actually a statue to the drowning man. It's supposed to warn people of the perils of the sea, I guess. Funny thing is, when tourists come, they love to take their picture in front of it. Um, and uh, so there, Jill and I are taking our picture. And whenever we have teams, we love to bring them, take their picture there. And we say, you know what? Next time you look at this, remember Uruguay, because this, this statue warns of the dangers of the sea, and it's supposed to represent, you know, the, but, but for us, it actually represents the spiritual condition of the people in Uruguay, because spiritually they're drowning. About one out of every two people are uh, atheists or agnostics in that country, and so many of them don't believe that God exists, other ones just don't care. And so it presents a unique challenge in this country, and so whenever we show this at churches, we ask you to do the same thing that you would remember Uruguay in your prayers, and that those numbers, those statistics would begin to change as people would come to the realization that not only is there a God that exists, but there's one that loves and cares about them. All right, in our next picture, let's see if you can figure out what this is. A, deli-style ham. B, the the lining of the cow's stomach. Or C, rock formations. How many people say A, deli-style ham? Wow, lots of ham lovers out there. B, the lining of the cow's stomach. Yep. I see a few hands. Or C, uh, rock formations. Yeah, a few for that one too. Um, While they do enjoy eating the lining of the cow's stomach, this is deli-style ham. Uh, That is the most common sandwich you can find in Uruguay. It's called a chivito, and they absolutely love it there. What what it contains is sirloin steak, ham, bacon, lettuce, tomato, mozzarella cheese. Um, Often they'll put on onions, peppers, olives, uh, and then they always top it off with an egg, uh, a little bit of mayonnaise, and then their bun, the, the toasted bun. So um, wonderful, just great. Um, probably not the healthiest thing for you. We call it a heart attack on a bun, but uh, it really is great and worth the trip to Uruguay. So if you come, we'll treat you to one of those as well. Lots of good food there. So, All right, let's see if you can figure out the next picture. What is that? A- I don't even have to give you guys the choices. You are good. You are good. That indeed is a soccer ball. Um, soccer is the most popular sport in Uruguay, and uh, they're very proud of their soccer heritage there. They've not only won the first World Cup, they've won it multiple times. They've won the Olympics multiple times. And uh, for a small country, they are very proud of all of their accomplishments. In the last World Cup, they, uh, they made it all the way to the semifinals. And so uh, when, when we got there, we began to see how soccer could be a bridge to connect with people that wouldn't typically come to church. And it helped us to get outside the four walls of the church, establish relationships with people, develop trust, and then share with them about Christ. And uh, <clears throat> just so happens, soccer is my favorite sport as well. I, I was an All-American. I played Division One here in the States, played over in Europe for a while. And uh, this sport has become our greatest tool of evangelism in that country. And like I said, it opened up doors of ministry that we had never imagined. So I played on a club team while I was over there. And the uh, amazing thing was with the players I connected with on every single one of my team, I got to share the message of Christ with them. In addition, I got to give each one of them a Bible, a sports Bible that not only had the word of God, but in the end it had 20 testimonies of professional soccer players from South America that, uh, that all had a relationship with Christ. And, uh, and so this has been a, a strategy that we've used to, uh, to help empower churches to reach out to their communities, not only to children and teenagers, but all the way up through to professional athletes in that country. All right, our sixth and final picture this morning. See if you can figure out what this one is. A, sacrifices to the spiritual world. B, picnic on the beach. Or C, communion. I'm going to say A, sacrifices to the spiritual world. I don't see any hands for that one. B, picnic on the beach. 
Lots of hands. Or C, communion. Yeah, a few for that one as well. Believe it or not, that is A, sacrifices to the spiritual world. A little bit tricky. It's different than, than what we would, might be used to here. Um, but if you were here yesterday at the woman's thing, you heard Jill share a little bit about Natalia. And uh, she came from this, this background. So let me describe to you what's happened in this picture. This took place February 2nd. While we celebrate Groundhog's Day in the States, they actually go out and uh, they s- celebrate the goddess of the sea. Her name is Imanja. And uh, what they do is they go down to the beach, they build these little wooden boats, they put their food sacrifices on them, and they push their offerings out to sea. Now, if they go out with the water, they believe that they're going to be blessed for the upcoming year. But if it happens to come back with the tide and washes back up on the shore, then, well, they're in for a rough year. Funny thing is, if you come back the next morning, everything's washed back up on the shore, but... I guess that doesn't matter. <laughs> so we went out to, to see what it was like. And so we're there on the beach, 50,000 people on that beach alone in the capital city. And, uh, and you can just sense the spiritual darkness, the oppression. You set foot on there and you can sense that something's different. And uh, so there's our leaders. They're laying their hands on the people. And they're actually praying that s- demonic spirits would come and fill their lives. Whereas in church, we might pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us. There, they're praying that demons would come in and fill them. And so you start to see people manifest. You see some crazy stuff happen. And uh, so we're believing. We're believing that that will change. Would you join us? Pray for the country of Uruguay. And believe that the spiritual stronghold that Satan's had there for so long, that people would experience freedom in Christ. That they would see that there's so much more than just, than just what they're, they're celebrating the spiritism here on the beach. But there's a God that is all-powerful. There's a God that loves them. There's a God that cares about them. There's a God that has a hope and a future for their lives. One of the things that stood out to Jill and I as we stood there that day on the beach, they did all the same things that we might do at church. They had prayer lines where they lay hands on people. They did communion. They had little candles out there where they would go and say special things. They even had a time where they would clap. They would do, you know, had their little message and all. But not one person ever smiled. Not one person ever smiled. The bondage that Satan had over them just stole the joy from their life. And so would you, would you pray for Uruguay and believe with us that this will change? Thank you so much. We really do appreciate that. Um, what we did was uh, God opened up a number of doors in ministry. And so we put together a little video uh, to show you what that all looked like. And so just to tell you what, what some of the things that you'll see. Um, we were able to use sports to reach out to children, teenagers, and also professional athletes, as I mentioned. We taught at a Bible school, training the next generation of pastors and leaders there. We uh, were able to plant three new churches um, near the capital city. And the amazing thing was in these, these churches, we went into three communities that had no evangelical churches at all. There was nothing there. And uh, started with zero and got to see how God built his church in those places. So glory to God, in each one of those locations today, there's a church. Each one of them is now led by Uruguayan pastor. Each one of them has their own building, and each one of them is growing and actively reaching their communities. And uh, so you'll see some of those things. You'll see a teen challenge that we have, an orphanage, um, and uh, some of the other great ministries that we got to be part of. So take a look, and thanks so much for helping to make this possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
So that's some of the highlights, some of the great things that that God is doing in Uruguay. And uh, Jill and I really are honored to uh, to serve in that country. You know, when we went there, we knew that uh, Uruguay is a difficult place. Our, our leadership had told us, they said, you know, you asked for a hard country, so we gave you, they said, that the most secular country in the Americas. That means from the north of Canada right down to the tip of Argentina, Uruguay is the least reached country in all the Americas. And they said, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult place. In fact, it's gained the nickname of being called the Graveyard of Latin American Missions. But, uh, but we went there with a hope, with an expectation that we serve a big God, a God of the impossible. And in fact, just, just shortly before we went, a guy named David Wilkerson gave us a prophecy for the country from Isaiah 44.3 that talks about God pouring out his spirit on the dry place. And we knew Uruguay was a spiritual desert. We knew it was a hard place. But we went expecting God, believing that it was a new day, a new time. And uh, you got to see some of the great things that, that God is doing there in the country. But uh, there's still some amazing challenges, and we really covet your prayers. Would you remember Uruguay in your prayers? On your way out, you see a little table. Um, we set out a few cards there, some magnets that have our picture, have the, the country of Uruguay in there. If you would just pick one of those up when you leave, put it someplace where you see it often, um, we would really appreciate your prayers. I can't tell you how many times um, during our term over there where someone would send us an email, would call us from one of the churches we had visited and just say, you know what, God laid you guys on my heart today or this week, and uh, here's a scripture that he, he gave me, or we just want to pray with you. And it was at a moment... The right moment when you really needed someone just to stand with you and believe with you, and uh, and I can't tell you how many how many amazing doors prayer has opened for us in the different places that God has had us. So thank you so much. And uh, let me just say, I as I listened this morning, I I believe I counted uh, 69 missionaries or ministries that you guys support here. Um, on behalf of each one of those ministries and the people that get to hear the gospel because of them, let me just say thank you. Um, Jill and I, we would never be able to do what God has called us to do if it wasn't for churches like yours that prayed for us, that encouraged us, and that gave each and every month so that we could go and share the life-giving message of Jesus with the people of Uruguay. Um, I hope one day you guys have an opportunity to come and see firsthand what God's doing in the country of Uruguay. But even if you don't, um, one day in heaven, the BCM Uruguayans will walk up to you and say thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made so that someone got to go and share with them about Jesus. And so thanks so much. Missions is an amazing thing we can never accomplish on our own. It takes each and every person in the kingdom of God working together so his kingdom can grow and expand. And uh, that's the beauty of missions. Uh, when Jill and I go back, uh, we're hoping to head back um, probably in, in April. And uh, we'll have our son Lucas that will be going with us. Uh, but uh, the National Church, uh, the, the Assemblies of God of Uruguay, has invited us to come and be the, the national directors of church planning there. Uh, they've never had a department for church planning, so they want us to help form that. And also look for the areas of greatest need and help them to plant churches in those places. And so um, we're definitely excited about that, and I'm sure we'll continue to use soccer as a great way to reach out to the people there. So um, thanks so much for, uh, for helping to make that possible. We look forward to, to heading back to Uruguay um, in just a few months here. This morning, I, uh, I want to share a simple message that God has uh, placed on my heart. It, uh, it was simply birthed out of a prayer. Uh, one morning, I was just asking God, what matters most to you? And uh, I realized this, if it matters to him, I want to matter to me. It was important to, to him. It's probably ought to be important to me. And if it was worth him sending his son to the cross for, it's probably me worth investing my time and energy in. And so he led me to passage in Luke chapter 15, that I'd love to share with you this morning. And I, I think as we take a look at, uh, at, at this chapter, we'll see some areas and some things that matter to God and hopefully realize 
how they ought to matter to us as well. So uh, to set this chapter up for you real quick, Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Common thing he did all throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees and teachers of the law show up and they get jealous because Jesus is spending his time with those unclean people. And so in response to the attitude of the Pharisees, Jesus tells three stories or three parables that I think will reveal to us this morning what matters most to God. First parable is about uh, the lost sheep. Anyone ever heard of this before? That's great. I see hands up all over the place. If you haven't, I'm going to summarize it for you real quick. Shepherd has 100 sheep. Loses one of them, goes and wanders off. What does he do? He leaves the 99 there safe and secure to go in search of this one lost sheep. And when he finds it, does he mock it, beat it, ridicule, and judge it? No. He lovingly picks it up, places on his shoulders a position of honor, calls together his friends and neighbors, says, come rejoice with me because my sheep that once was lost is now found. How does a sheep get lost? You ever thought about that before? Sheep wakes up. I think he's kind of like a teenage guy. Well, he said, where's the first place a teenager goes? To the fridge, right? He's hungry in the morning. Sheep wakes up, he's hungry. Comes out, looks around, finds a nice piece of grass. Starts to eat. Takes a step. Eats a little bit more, another step. A little bit more, another step. At the end of the day, sheep picks his head up, looks around. He realizes he's pretty far from where he started out. You know, the sheep was just so preoccupied with eating that he lost track of where he was going. Today in life, there's some people that are just so preoccupied that they've lost track of where they're going. So preoccupied with paying the bills, so preoccupied with keeping their marriage together, so preoccupied with keeping their kids off drugs, so busy with all the stuff of life that they've lost track of the most important thing. Joe and I had an opportunity to help plant a church in a, in a community called Tala. The amazing thing about this community was over the past 25 years, a number of different denominations have tried to plant a church there, and they all failed. And so it kind of gained the nickname of being called the Impossible City. So people began to hear that God was leading us there, and they all began to call us and warn us, you know, that's, that's that impossible city. It's, it's not going to work, you know. And, but we, we sensed that God was leading us there. So we went to the community. We began to walk, and we went up every single street, up and down every street, praying, asking God for a divine strategy on how to reach the people there. It gave us an idea. A little different way than you would typically plan a church, but um, what we did was we started a soccer club for kids in that community. And through that, we got to know the families of these kids. And then later when we moved into our, our home groups and then our services, it was actually the families of these kids that were the first to attend. And so here we are, our very first Saturday, very first soccer practice, and a bunch of kids in the community show up. And I remember uh, what we would do is we would always take a soccer skill that we were learning that day, and we would connect it with a value, a moral, a biblical principle, and a story about Jesus. So they came to play soccer, but they actually got a whole children's church lesson right there in the middle. And so here we are, we get to the story about Jesus, and this kid named Max, he raised his hand, probably about eight years old. Raised his hand, he says, who's this guy, Jesus? We've never heard about him before. And so Max and his friends used to come back each week, not only to play soccer, but to hear what happened next to this guy named Jesus. And uh, so fast forward a few months, we moved into our home groups. We got into our, our outdoor tent services. Those were the, the yellow and white tents you guys saw in the, in the pictures there. We did them every single night throughout the fall. And uh, we were actually our very first night, though, Maxie and all of his friends come. We had a great service. We said goodbye. We'd see him the next night. And they left. But something happened to Maxie's heart because uh, about 10 minutes later, he came back. And with him, he brought his mom, his aunt, his neighbor, and three of his cousins. And they became six of the first adults that got saved there in that community. It's amazing. Even an eight-year-old boy could bring his friends, his family, and his neighbors to Christ. Maxie's mom said something that night I'll never forget. She looked at me. She said, I, you know, 
She goes, thanks for reminding me of what matters most. She said, I've just been so preoccupied with life that I lost track. She said, in the midst of my busyness, you know, she was a single mom trying to pay the bills, trying to take care of her kids, trying to keep the house clean, trying to do all the stuff of life. And she said, you know, in the, the midst of my busyness, I never really brought my kids to church or shared with them about God. And she said, thanks for coming and reminding us of what matters most in this life. Chances are you might come in contact with some people like Maxie's mom. They're just so busy with life, so busy that they've lost track of the most important thing. And God's probably placed you in their lives. So you could be like that shepherd, so you could just go out, reach out a loving hand, and help remind them of what matters most, that there's a God that cares about them, that loves them, that wants to have a relationship with them. First parable is about a sheep that wanders off and gets lost. The second is about a woman and her 10 coins. See, what happens in this parable is a woman, she's got 10 silver coins. She loses one of them, but because it's so valuable to her, she takes the time to look for it. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches high and low until she finds her coin. And when she does, she gets so excited, she throws a party, calls her friends and neighbors. She says, come celebrate with me because my coin that once was lost is now found. Whereas in the first parable, the sheep wandered off and got lost by accident. How many of the second one, the coin not, did not get lost on its own? The woman was careless with her coin. You see, scholars are quick to point out in that day and age, women used to take these coins, they're drachma coins, uh, worth about a day's worth of work. What they would do is they would fashion them together, the extra ones that they had. Women used to take them, they would make them into a necklace. Not only was it a nice piece of jewelry, but it actually was a way they keep their valuable items close and secure. And, uh, well, I guess some things never change. Ladies still like nice pieces of jewelry, huh? What happened? The woman must have been careless, put the necklace down, one of the coins fell off and got lost. But because it was so valuable to her, she took the time to look for it and didn't stop until she found it. How many know there's been a generation of people in this world today that have been careless with their lives? Not only with their own lives, with the lives of the children that God's entrusted to them. Jill and I lived in the capital city, and uh, about two houses down from us lived a family of squatters. So rather than work or study, what they did to survive was steal. They'll go around and rob different people in our community. And the, the parents of these teenage guys understood something. The laws in Uruguay are very lax regarding minors. If you're under uh, 18, you can basically commit a crime and get away with it because there's no room to put you in prison. And so these parents, rather than teaching their kids to follow laws or respect authority, they would teach them to steal. They'd teach them how to get over barbed wire, how to get through the bars in your windows, how to get in and out in less than three minutes before the cops would show up. And uh, so that's what was going on. And these teenagers were going out and wreaking havoc throughout our community. And they got into our house and they robbed us once, twice, three times. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but if you have, you could probably understand some of the feelings that were going through our hearts. We felt like a place that once had been safe and secure had now been violated. And all of a sudden, some hardness, some bitterness began to settle in and maybe even questioned whether this was really the place God had for us. And I remember one day, I go for a little jog around the neighborhood, pass by in front of their house, and these teenage guys are all out front. I look over, I saw them there, I said, I can't believe they'd steal from me. I can't believe they'd take my stuff. I felt the Holy Spirit whisper these words to me. He said, you need to forgive them. He said, no, they hurt me too badly. And once again, I heard those words, you need to forgive them. And I knew he was right. So I made a conscious decision that day I was going to choose to forgive him. And the next thing he whispered to me was this. He said, if you really forgave him, now go and tell them about me. I mean, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's a whole other thing to have to go and share with them the love of Christ after. I said, they're not going to listen to me. They don't care what I have to say. But I knew I was supposed to. So I went home. I grabbed a soccer ball. I came back. I said, anybody want to play? 
five, 10, 15 teenagers come running out into the road, put a game in the middle of the street right in front of their house that day and uh, actually became the start of something I did with them each week. And over time, they got to know me and they got to hear my story. But most importantly, they got to, to hear about Jesus. A year later, Jill and I are walking out of service and a teenage guy comes running up to me and says, hey, uh, you remember who I am? I said, yeah, you're my neighbor. He said, guess what? My brother and I just got saved. We've been off of drugs for three weeks now. And he said, uh, God's really been working on our lives. If you'd seen him three weeks before, he said, no, it was impossible. They were too messed up, too far from him, too hard. But how many know God specializes in seemingly impossible people? In taking situations that seem so hard and so difficult at this moment and turning them around and even bringing about good. You see, thankfully, because of this, the robbery stopped. But more importantly, I got to go into their home and share with their entire family about Christ. As I walked out of their place that day, I realized something. God was more concerned with the spiritual condition of my neighbor's heart than he was with my comfort or my earthly possessions. And maybe, just maybe, God allowed Jill and I to pass through a difficult time to create this opportunity so my neighbors could have a chance to experience his love. You see, these kids grew up in a difficult situation. Their parents had been careless with their lives. They never brought them to church. They never taught them what was right. They never even shared with them about God. These kids had no idea. No idea. But God cared so much about them that he made a way. He created an opportunity so they could have a chance to experience his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Now, maybe your neighbors aren't coming and robbing you regularly like ours were, but there's a good chance that there's some people you cross paths with whose kids have never really had a chance to go to church, never really had an adequate explanation of who God is or the plan he has for their lives. And God's placed you in their lives so that you could help share with them how much he cares, how much he loves each and every one of them. First parable is about a sheep that wanders off and gets lost. The second about a woman or coins. The third, though, is completely different because it's the story of a boy that grew up in a gray home, knew the correct path, and yet chose to leave what he knew was right. Story of the prodigal son. What happens? A son goes to his dad. He says, Dad, I like my inheritance. I want to go and live my life. What he was basically doing was committing one of the greatest insults of his day and age. This is what he's saying to his dad. Dad, I hate you and I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm leaving. Takes his inheritance, goes and frivolously spends it. Wakes up one morning in a pig pen and uh, comes this realization. He sinned. He messed up big time. But maybe the greatest realization he came to was this. He'd miscalculated. You see, he thought that life without his father was better than life with him. And so he chose to leave his father's home, his father's faith, all that he had grown up with in his father's house in search of the temporary pressures of this world because they seemed more enticing to him at that moment. But in the end, he came to the same realization many of us have. Life without Father God is never better than life with him. Michael grew up in a gray home. Wonderful church just like this one. But when he was a teenager, he started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And uh, often happens with sin, it can be a slippery slope. Put one foot in, then another, another. And before long, you're, you're so entangled in it, you really don't know how to get out. And that's what happened with Michael. He's just start out with some small things. He was smoking a little drink in here and there, and then it was marijuana, and then this drug, that drug. And before long, it was crack cocaine, and he, his life was a disaster for years. Woke up one morning, and just at the end of it, it all, he didn't know what to do, except he just cried out to God and asked him to forgive him. Basically came the same realization that that lost boy did. Life without Father God was never better than life with him. Door opened up. Michael came to the teen challenge that we have in Uruguay and uh, 
graduated the program, we saw an amazing transformation in his life. Michael actually helped us to build the three sanctuaries for those three new church plants. If you'd seen him a few years ago, he said, no, he's too strung out, too messed up, too far from God. But yet God cared so much about Michael that he gave him a second chance. Gave him a chance to experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness anew. And Michael made an investment, an eternal investment when he built those churches. Because regularly, as we're worshiping this morning, they're worshiping there. And hopefully there's some new people that are getting saved as well. Chances are you might know someone like Michael. Maybe they went to church with you. Maybe they even sat next to you at this place. And they're not walking with God today like they used to be. Can I tell you something? God cares about them. We serve a God of second chances. Maybe, just maybe, God has you in their lives so you can remind them of how much he cares, how much he loves, and help them to remember, remember that we really do serve a God, a God of second chances. First parable is about a sheep that wanders off and gets lost. The second about a woman or a coin. And the, the third, as I said, about the, the prodigal son. And I think each one of us this morning, it, it represents some different lost people that are out there. It's not so much a matter of how people end up lost. I think the reality situation, though, is that there are lost people all around us. And God cares so much about them. And he's just looking for some people that will care enough to reach out and grasp the hand of a loving father. Reach out and grasp the hand of a lost and broken world. And do it all through the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, lost people matter to God. And so they must matter to us. I love how the story of the prodigal son concludes. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says this. But while he, the lost son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Let me tell you this, a wealthy landowner in that day and age never would have done something like that. It was not proper for him to run. He would have had a long robe and sandals, not conducive to running very quickly. But this dad understood something. His son had brought such incredible shame, not only to his own family, but to that entire community, that if he did not get there first, the townspeople would have come out and they would have stoned his son. And so this dad, but he, he cared too much about his son. He cared too much, so day and night, he hoped and prayed his son would come home. And then he had to watch and be ready. So his son happened to come home no matter what time of day it was or night. He would be the very first person to see him. And he could run just as fast as he could to get there to restore the relationship, to forgive his son, and to eliminate the consequences of his sin. What a perfect picture of what God wants to do with each and every lost person out there. God's just looking for some people that will be like that dad, that will care enough, that will love enough, that will hope and pray and believe that our lost family members and friends and neighbors will come home. And we start to see them show some interest. We would just run as fast as we could to reach out a hand and help lead them back to Christ. You see, lost people matter to God, and so they must matter to us. If there's one lesson that I learned this, this past term in Uruguay, it was as I was walking home from my, uh, my neighbor's house, and I felt the Holy Spirit whisper these words to me. He said, uh, you know, when the things that matter most to God start to matter most to you, miracles will happen. Do you know that? When the things that matter most to God start to matter most to us, miracles happen. You see, it's in those moments that we start to think differently. We start to act differently. We give differently. We pray differently. We believe differently. And we live our lives in light of eternity, realizing that the things we do today really have consequences that affect people forever. But the miracles happen. They're the best part. They're the lives of the people that get changed and the names that get written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so my prayer this morning is simply this. That the things that matter most to God would matter most to us. And we see miracles of salvation happen all around us. 
in the lives of our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, both here in this country and around the world. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the work of your son Jesus on the cross, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that same love that compelled you to the cross would fill our hearts and our lives. That same compassion that moved you would move us. And God, our prayer this morning is simply that everything that matters to you, God, that it would matter to us. Because we want to see our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates come to a relationship with you. So that once more all the angels and saints in heaven can rejoice. Because someone that once was lost is now found. Thank you so much. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Steve. What an encouraging message. Great word. Great word. Here, here, here's, here, here's the difference between a, a life that is consumed with the gospel message and a life that's consumed with me. You see, what I love what Steve shared is that the very boys that, that stole from them my flesh would say they don't deserve it. A gospel-centered heart would say, yeah, they don't deserve it. However, Christ still died for them and he still loves them. And, and I just go back to Romans 5, 8, where it says God demonstrates his love for us. That while we are still sinners, Jesus died for us. And, and I, it, we can't categorize people into bad and good and they deserve the message and they don't deserve the message. Everyone deserves to hear it regardless of the way they live their lives. And that's, I think that's something, what Steve says, is something that God has been kind of doing in my heart too is, is separating my flesh and separating my wants and my own selfishness. How many you know we're all selfish? I'm selfish. You know, I'm more selfish than you are. And, I, and I'll admit it, I'm selfish in so many different ways. And, and we want our own comfort and we want things to work out our ways. But when those things don't work out, we can tend to shrivel up and not allow God to use us. And God says, listen, I want to use you and I want to break that selfishness in your heart to allow the gospel message to so permeate your life that you're going to look beyond your comfort, your selfishness, all those things, and allow me to break those things because... Really, when we look at the life of Christ and the example that Christ left for us, Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He showed us the example by, by taking the towel of a servant and washing the disciples' feet. And I, for me, that's something that God constantly has been working in my heart, is saying, Barden, you've got to keep laying your life down. You've got to keep laying your life down. You've got to keep laying your life down. Really... That, that's really at the heart of missions where I lay my life down for the sake of Christ and say, Jesus, I'm going to love them in spite of. I'm going to love them in spite of this, in spite of that. I'm going to still keep reaching out and sharing your love. What great testimonies. Wow. I mean, I love the contextualizing the whole soccer thing and, and, and working that into a community to build relationships where they trust you and and uh, they, they allow their hearts to be open because they see that our hearts are genuine and that we genuinely want to see them changed for Jesus Christ. So thanks, Steve. Great message today. We really appreciate that. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a special offering for the McCarthys. They, when they go back to Uruguay, they're going to start these churches. And you could see 
in the video some of the churches that they were uh, building down there. We want to be partakers with that. And so when they come back on the field, yes, they love to visit the churches and update us, but also they have to raise these funds so that the work can continue in there. So we're going to take a special offering for them. Um, if you're writing out a check, you can write it out to, to Living Word, and, 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 and all the, the proceeds will go towards McCarthy's and their ministry to continue the work and the building of these churches. And, and, and you can see the fruit of what God has already done over the last four years, and we want to be partakers of that. So, so we're going to pray and uh, let God lead you in the way you should give to them. And uh, we're so thankful that God is using them and doing a great work in the country of Uruguay. So let's pray and just ask the Lord just to, just to move in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in Uruguay, specifically through the McCarthy's, God. And we pray for this offering as we give it to you, God. We pray that you would use it for your glory and that that many more would come to know Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies and, and the fruit that is, is happening because of your work, God. That you work through us, people that are availing themselves to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you work through us. Imperfect vessels, but you work through us, God, when we avail ourselves to you. So, Lord, we just pray for this offering, Lord. And, 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 and Lord, their desire to start these new churches, we, we pray, God, for just blessings upon it. And that fruit would occur and that many, many more would come to know Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that by us giving to this, Lord, what we're saying is we care about people. We want more teenagers to know Jesus. We want more Michaels to know Jesus. And so, Lord, for us today, I pray that you would just allow us to see that as, as we give, Lord, we're, we're giving to your kingdom, God. We're, we're giving because we want to see souls won into your kingdom. And so, Lord, thank you for what this money is going to be used for. It's going to be used for eternal purposes. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. So, Lord, we just once again give the McCarthy's to you. Lord, keep them safe as they travel and as they uh, go, go throughout the other churches, Lord, before they go back to Uruguay. And we just thank you for their lives and for what you're doing through them. And we just give Christ all the glory for what he does. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you use us. And uh, we're just grateful for, for just lives that are being changed for the kingdom of God. And we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you in your giving. You're the God of this city 
You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. from this place today. Lord, I pray that you would continue just to expand our hearts, to see beyond ourselves to the hurting, the broken, those that are around us every single day, God. So Lord, just thank you once again for this message today that you're constantly seeking lost people. You care about lost people. It doesn't matter how they got there, Lord. They're lost and, and they need a savior. And that's what you came to do, Jesus. You came to seek and save that which was lost. And behind every person is a story and lord we may not know what that story is but you do and you ask us to reach in even to the messiness god with the love of christ and we know that through christ lives are transformed and we're so thankful for that jesus thank you for never giving up on us jesus you're always there for us you never leave us or forsake us and nothing can separate us from your love and we're just so thankful for that. So thank you for this day. And we just give you the glory now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Listen, before you go, make sure that uh, you stop by the table uh, just on your way out to the left there and pick up one of their prayer cards so you can remember the McCarthys. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Amen.